I mean, what's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So Who cares about what people think about us. Yeah, I like football, I like football season and all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL podcast. Steve Palazzolo with my macho man gift. This was the gift from Sam Monson, my partner over here. Thanks, yeah. man. See, it my... wasn't weird. No. You it made wasn't it sound weird, weird but it turns out it was just a t shirt and some, some shades. We've got a macho man, Randy Savage t shirt and glasses, which are difficult to see through. Yeah. And as Austin, as we just discovered from Austin being in the studio, if you're born after like a certain year, completely you have no idea what we were talking about like this no. is absurd has no relevance to anything you don't know what you are dressed as for a specific audience here. right and uh oh, man he wanted me to bust out the voice i just don't feel pre- prepared i used to be able to do a decent macho man i, I just think little, it would have been yeah right macho man now, the, yeah, see, the now intro, i lose it after a while the intro in that voice would have been good i, I might welcome into the pff nfl podcast yeah. Ooh, yeah it's the kind of voice you have to commit to it. You can't, you can't do it half-ass. You can't, you know, well, I'm going to give it a try. you got to go all out or nothing. Yeah, and you, and didn't, I, you didn't have the confidence for it. I didn't, and I, I can do like a quick ooh year, a little like, snap into it. You know, like you can do that, but um, I, I don't know if I can go beyond that. Yeah. So, uh, so here we are. It is a shame we don't have the hat now that you mention it. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed in myself. Yeah, because now else. I feel ridiculous because yeah, I just yeah. don't have the oversized cowboy hat. You do I'm have the hair around. for it, though. I mean, that, that yeah. hair is built for a macho man. Uh, do, you, do you know what else uh, macho man and I have in common? No. Former minor league baseball player. Of course. Randy Poffo. Randy played in the minors just like I did. We're basically the same guy. Yeah. Rest in peace, Randy. Did he get closer to being drafted than you did? I'm, I'm sure he did. I'm sure. I'm sure he did. I'm sure he didn't get. But he didn't up. get passed up 4,500 times. 4,500 times that I got passed over. I'm sure that never happened to the Macho Man. No. But uh, thank you for my uh, for my Christmas present. You You're can welcome. show yours too, because we're trying to get that. We're trying to get that sponsorship, you know, from our friends over at Jeff Ruby's. I got I got a little. Because um, you do a bunch of uh, smoking and grilling and stuff like that. A little Jeff Ruby's yeah. steakhouse seasoning. Steakhouse seasoning. By Jeffrey. There's a nice little story in the back, you know. In 1981, Jeff Ruby developed his now legendary blend of herbs and spices. There's a lot more in there as well. I'm not reading that. But uh, yeah, you said that lasted a long time when you bought one. Yeah, I, 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 got, a, I got almost a year out of it in uh, various forms. Steaks here and there, make some, some big, like a big roast. I'll be doing that Friday. All right. Might be using it again. Anyway, uh, we exchanged Christmas presents. It was fun. And if you're listening, <laughs> go check out the YouTube because I'm wearing a Macho Man shirt and glasses. The glasses have to come off at some point. Mm. Uh, but today, we're going to recap the four COVID games we had uh, in Monday Night Football. Uh, three games removed, extra Monday Night Football games. We've got four games we haven't covered yet, so that should take a good three and a half hours. Mm-hmm. And then we'll, uh, we'll preview Thursday Night Football, Titans and 49ers. And do we have emails this week? A couple. 
Yeah. And we have emails too. So we got to be, we got to be tight. We got to keep it tight and efficient for the one hour show here. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Remember, if you want to send us emails, uh, NFL podcasts at PFF.com, send us ideas, send us yeah, whatever you like, send us stories, send us anything. Emails. We get a lot of stories. We're desperate. We want a direction. <laughs> We're not that desperate. No, no, no. We, not we, just, we like the, it's like, you know, kids that like to get mail. That's what we're like, except with email. Yeah, we like to. We're just, just, we're just want to see email. the inbox light up. So send those in, NFL Podcast at pff.com. All right, let's get into some of the recap stuff here, Sam. We've got uh, Monday Night Football, the first game. The uh, first game. Cleveland Browns and uh, the yes. Las Vegas Raiders. Mm-hmm. It was uh, the Nick Mullins show because uh, I'm going to take these off. Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum. Wow, it's, it's a lot brighter in here without the shades. Uh, Baker Mayfield and Case Keenum, uh, both on the COVID list. Nick Mullins. Now, I, I gotta, I'm got going to throw this out there. It might be a crazy take. Mm-hmm. I think Nick Mullins is the best third quarterback of all time. The best third quarterback of all time. Maybe not all time. I think, no. did the Packers have Matt Hasselbeck and Mark Brunel at one point? Yes. Also, certainly. Also, Kurt Warner at one point was a third oh, quarterback. Oh, Kurt Warner was there yeah. too? I'm just saying. Well, maybe There's a lot end, of <laughs> Nick Mullins is the best QB3 right now. Yeah, right now maybe. Um, although... You know, Josh Johnson was it? I mean, uh, I'm no. not sure I'd be making that many out of Nick Mullins. What's about Nick Mullins? So he the came Browns, in, he did a job. He was okay. Raiders win 16 to 14. I think from a Browns perspective. Oh, look, there's an actual pick on here. Did we, we covered picked Las Vegas. Great. Yes, beautiful. We both picked Las Vegas to win by one and a half, win by two with the game-winning field goal. Without any idea who or how many we're going to be missing matter. at the time we we're previewing this I think, madness. I think last week when we made the pick, we both knew like, uh oh. It's, Falling apart. Well, yeah, we knew that the Browns were in some way, shape, or form hammered by COVID, but we didn't have any clue what the implications of that were. And we nailed it. I mean, it was a it was a it was an easy it was an easy win. This is great because we put um (laughs) we put COVID in the YouTube title here. So we've got like uh warnings about the latest info. Like if we if we say anything (laughs) that's uh labeled as misinformation here, we're gonna get shut down. We're getting shut down, right? Because this is this is we put COVID in the title on YouTube and uh We've probably shown up on a watch list now. Yeah, censorship is 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 on its way. Excellent. We're going to be censored here, so don't don't misinform the people here. Um, we did not misinform the people with our pick, though. We took the Raiders. We nailed to it. cover, yeah. and it was you know easy easy win. Raiders get up ten nothing. Browns crawl back into it. Crawl back. And then I mean it was a crawl. The entire game was a crawl. Offense this weekend was a crawl. It's what it was. And uh, yeah, the, the they're both seven and seven now. Disappointing for the Browns and the the Raiders stay alive. Yeah, I mean, this was a game, maybe the first game this season where, I mean, COVID had a pretty substantial hand in the outcome of this, right? Cleveland is, was in reasonable position in the madness that is the AFC playoffs. <clears throat> Took a big step back with losing this game. And, you know, we're down an awful lot of critical players. Now, to be fair, they had quite a lot of critical players still playing, you know, like Joel Batonio and J.C. Treader, two of their starting five offensive linemen, were their two best-graded players on offense. David Njoku was still there. Nick Chubb was still there. Dearness Johnson has obviously become a big part of that offense, or at least proven that he can step step in when Nick Chubb or Kareem Hunt aren't there and, and basically be the same guy. Um, you know, Rashad Higgins, the legendary Higgins, was still there on offense. Defense... Did take a bit of a battering as well, but Miles Garrett was still there. John Johnson was still there. Greedy Williams has had a lot of playing time. So, you know, there were a lot of players that were still available to the Browns um, in addition to all the ones that they had lost from COVID. And, you know, it was kind of – it was a fairly miserable performance for them. 
Yeah, I mean that about sums it up. So they both both teams have seven wins. They're both on the on the fringes of the of the playoff picture, uh, like everyone else in the AFC. Uh, you know, for the Raiders, again, they they saved their season. Uh, they, you know, they're dealing with some backup with some backups as well. They had a really good game from Divine Diablo, one of the uh, the fun. You know, he was a safety coming out of Virginia Tech. He played 34 snaps and played well at ben, linebacker, 6'3", 230. Ben Stockwell made that point. He's like, how? How did that guy play safety? He's huge. I mean, when before I was doing football analysis and I was just like a fan and watching stuff and everything, I remember thinking the same thing about Cam Chancellor. Yes. Because Cam Chancellor was, was also a, huge. He was a legit 6'4", 230. And the only thing I knew about the NFL, I mean, not the only, but the, the thing I knew about the NFL in the draft was like, uh, that's a linebacker body type. Therefore, he'll move to linebacker in right. the NFL. And uh, Cam Chancellor did not. He was one of the better safeties in the NFL when he played. So Diablo, also coming out of Virginia Tech, similar body type. And just to put that into context, like that would be a not, that would be a large enough linebacker in today's NFL. Like Darius Leonard, frenemy of the show, is like <laughs> 6'2". And look, he's listed at 230 or 220 something, but he's said openly that he has played the game at like 215, right? You know, 220 max. So if you're talking about a guy who's 6'4, 230 something, that guy is two inches and 20 pounds potentially heavier than Darius Leonard playing at safety as opposed to linebacker. Like, those guys are huge for today's NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, and, and, you know, the, the, the Raiders needed Diablo's performance. He did pretty well one, in that game. One thing, Joe Batonio, who's been one of the best pass-blocking guards yeah, for a number story. of years, because of all the reshuffling, Joe Batonio played left tackle in this game and had a 91.5 overall grade, essentially shut down um, Yannick Ngakwe, who's been one of the better pass rush, like been a really useful pass rushing foil for Max Crosby on the other side of the defensive line for the Raiders. Ngakwe got basically blanked in this game. Batonio gave up one pressure. Yeah, that was impressive. Every now and again, you see that the elite guard moves out. We've seen uh, Zach Martin's done it. I remember yeah. Logan Mankins was forced to do it. It, it looks funny, too, because when you have like a legit guard body out there sometimes, yeah. Batonio wasn't too bad. Uh, Logan Mankins playing tackle was uh, was interesting look. But um, yeah, it's impressive that guys uh, really can do that because it really is a completely different skill set, pass protection and Remember, who you're like, facing. And Josh Sitton did it once, I think, where Sitton, again, one of the best pass blocking guards of his generation, had to go out and play left tackle once, and Sitton had like a real guard's body. You know, that was some round, round type of shape to him. <laughs> that guy played, and Jeez, I, don't, I, don't, I don't think he, I don't think he went that well at left tackle. So Batonio doing it is is legit. It is, uh, man. The AFC North. The Browns are now in last at 7-7. They seven. would have been first if they won this game. A field goal away. Um, and at the end of the game, too, uh, the Browns, they take the lead. They make a stop against the Raiders, and then they just can't pick up a first down. Big Not stop by the stop, Raiders. But like Derek Carr kind of throws the game away. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he did. Yeah, like some, I, Somebody was asking the well, question. Well, he threw a pick. Yeah, Derek Carr throws a pick. Yeah, Seems like, like that's the end of the game. Yes. Well, could have been. Somebody was asking the question, like, how many times has a guy essentially thrown, thrown an interception and had a game-winning drive late in the fourth quarter, you know, at the same, on the same, in the same game? Yeah. Like, Derek Good Carr question. effectively threw away the game and then got it back and then had a game-winning drive. Then had the game-winning drive. Yeah. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't happen often. And uh, the implications are mighty. Uh, the Browns would have been 8-6. and six 
tied with both the Bengals and the Ravens record-wise in the AFC North and ahead of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Instead, they're behind the Pittsburgh Steelers in last. Raiders, as I mentioned, all also 7-7, seven and seven, have that tiebreaker over the Browns. I, I don't know if the tiebreaker matters because there could be 20 teams all with the same record. Uh, but it is uh, – where's the playoff picture right now? If you investigated that, what happens if every one of those teams ends up on the same record? What's the tiebreaker? All right. Just well, draw lots. of the four 7-7 seven and seven teams, the Raiders are atop that group <laughs> with the number 10 seed. The Raiders, then the Dolphins, then the Browns, then the Broncos. Do you want to know why the Raiders are number one? I'll read it to you. Wins tiebreak over Cleveland and Miami based on head-to-head sweep. Division tiebreak was initially used to eliminate Denver. Las Vegas wins tiebreak over Denver based on head-to-head winning percentage. So a lot of head-to-head just seemed to seemed to make that happen. So the Raiders beat everybody, basically. <laughs> right? Did they beat the Dolphins? Yeah, they beat, they beat all of them head-to-head. So great. Good for the Raiders. They're, they're in the 10 spot. Steelers up to the 9 spot. As of today, if the playoffs started today, mm. Ravens would be out of the playoffs. The number eight seed. Yeah. Right now. By the way, the Steelers. they were during those games. Actually, was it before or after? I think it was before. They were telling players that they had made the Pro Bowl. Now, remember, this is. Uh, we, we, not, we're, we need a tight show. We week, don't need your Pro Bowl rant. This was week 15. We don't need your Pro Bowl rant. There's 18 weeks. There's three more. There's four games if you're counting that I one. I know, but like other sports do their all star games in the middle of the year. You I'm know? just saying, at this point, nobody can ever bring up the Pro Bowl as a reason for a player being good or not. No, even I, even okay, if they if were. That's your point. I, even if I they were. Yeah. Even if the right players were making it every time, right? Which <clears> they clearly aren't. Even if that was true. You were, you were actively ignoring now four weeks of the season. Yeah, I stand with you on that. Madness. Don't use the Pro Bowl as examples. Madness. Right, Working from home. Game? Working oh, from home, actually, okay. is more important than ever now. Optimize your home office with an X-Chair and our many accessories to enhance your focus, productivity, energy, and comfort. Once you feel the customized support of the X-Chair's patented dynamic variable lumbar, that's the DVL, there's no going back. It's all in the LMX massage and temperature regulation, exclusively designed and made for X-Chair. With versatile comfort, extraordinary design, X-Chair fits any space, including my office, where I put it all together. High performance, quality engineering, and extreme comfort. That's why I love it. So uh, makes working from home much, much better. You can see the pictures there on the YouTube channel. Go to xchairnflpod.com right now. That's the letter X, chair, nflpod.com. Or call 1-844-4X-CHAIR. For $100 off your order, X-Chair has a 30-day guarantee of complete comfort, and you can finance your purchase for as little as $30 a month. Great Christmas present potential here. They have the big bow on it, right? You you make fun of, like, the Lexus bows. What if, what if you had an X-Chair with a bow on it? That'd be a great gift. I mean, the Lexus bow is pretty huge. It is. Well, I'd get a Lexus bow, put it on the X-Chair. It's an even better you gift. You'd be able to see the X-Chair if you put, an X, if you put a Lexus bow on it. Well, go customize it. Go customize your X-Chair right now, too. XChairNFLPod.com. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description. And if you're obscenely rich and watching on YouTube, go buy that awesome massage chair because that's hilarious. Get it, Neil. Uh, go uh, to the next Monday night football game. Was what it, are we? Uh, Bears-Vikings. Oh, beautiful. Bears and Vikings. Uh, Vikings win. I turned it off before the final touchdown. Wow. What was the final score here? Uh, well, the important thing is... Um, that the lack of the extra point meant that Chicago didn't cover. Yeah, we both. Uh, wait, what was the what was the? Line? I'm pretty sure the line changed dramatically. It moved. Oh, dramatic! Right, right, right. So we both took Minnesota by three and out. Nailed it. 
Nailed it. Minnesota by three and a half. Now, the Bears had, uh, they were very depleted in the secondary. Final score was They didn't have a secondary. The like, their starting secondary was all out. All of them. But they got one of the performances of the week from Thomas Graham Jr. Comes in with a 90.7 grade. Only gives up two catches for 10 yards. Has three pass breakups. 2021 sixth round pick. It was his NFL debut, man. Yep. And it was, it was fantastic. He had a pretty good career at Oregon. So... Uh, in the loss, perhaps the Bears found something. Let's not overrate one game, but maybe the Bears uh, found a player there. Yeah, and let's not overrate one game, and also let's not um, – like a lot of that was against players that are not necessarily the best receivers around the world. Like he didn't do most of the damage against Justin Jefferson. You know what I mean? Right. And the Vikings didn't have Adam Thielen, so now you're, st- you're talking about K.J. Osborne, you're talking about Smith-Marset, Mar- uh, Tyler Conklin, C.J. Ham, the fullback. Like these are not the best receivers in the world – that he was going up against. But he did make some big plays. Um, like uh, Kirk Cousins had a yeah, – he went 12 for 24 for 87 yards through just an arm punt interception. He had two, two touchdowns in there as well, though. Um, and then Justin Fields um, threw the ball pretty well, had a fumble in there, still has to do a better job taking care of the ball, taking fewer sacks. But uh, 78 passing grade, kind of like as the Vikings uh, loosened up a little bit in the second yeah. half, he made some throws, right? In the first three quarters, Justin Fields' passing grade was 60. And in the fourth quarter, it went to 85 when the Vikings essentially backed so up. So it was a little garbage timey. And, yeah, um, not so much even garbage time. It wasn't garbage time. It wasn't, oh, they're playing prevents, but they yeah. clearly changed what they were doing. Right. The Vikings were happy to play soft enough, let him sort of chew clock and move the ball, and that's when Justin Fields plays really well because, you know, if you give him time and you don't harass him in the pocket and you just let him read things, he can deliver some absolute freaking dimes, and he did that. I got a, I got a vet quickly, though. I mean, the, this game, and then we'll talk about the Rams-Seahawks, I don't know if it's this year more than ever, but the impact of one call on on a football game. This particular one was uh, Tease Tabor on on third and long. So this was very similar to the Rams Seahawks game. You know how tough it is to get off the field on third and long. You know, third down in the NFL, you you work so hard to get off the field. And so the Vikings have like a third and eighteen. Throw a little check down. Tease Tabor's. You, know, you got a you got a blocker in front. It's a lineman. Tease Tabor's in coverage. And uh, Tease goes low. He tries to get around the lineman to make the tackle. And when you first watch the game, it's like, wow, that's an amazing play. He got around the blocker, tackle short, about five yards. Vikings should be punting. And they called it one of those low blocks that they've been emphasizing this year. Can't do that anymore. But he... Antoine Winfield's entire career is now illegal. You can't do that to the... But he didn't do it to the lineman. He went around the lineman to get the tackle. He didn't do it to the lineman. You're not allowed to go low, below the knees, on an offensive lineman. So when, now, so the rule is, well, lineman's pulling in space or whatever it might be. You can't just go low and cut him, which is a common Antoine Winfield move, to, to cut him down, take him out, let someone else make the play. That wasn't the intention here. It wasn't even the result here. Like, Tabor kind of, like, glanced past the lineman. Like, he touched him a little bit, but he was not trying to take mm-hmm. him out at the knees. Touched him. He went by him and tackled the receiver, to make the stop. And it was, what, 10-3 to 3 at the time or something? And the Vikings drive down, they score their next touchdown, and they go, they go up 17-3. to 3 And, look, 17-3 to 3 was insurmountable for the Bears. Look, it, the, the one, But it's just the swing of a game on one play because the Vikings came back and took advantage and scored a touchdown there. It does. We'll talk about, and I'll vent about the Rams-Seahawks two calls later. Great. 
It, it does you you doesn't like talking about officiating? No, no. Um, these are these are these are extreme cases this week. Yeah, extreme cases. It does feel like officiating. They. It, it's sort of they almost used to have the approach of well look you can call whatever you want you know during the game but let's try not to have the call be the reason that a team wins at the end of the game now obviously it happens right the saints rams disaster of a no call on pass interference they've still screwed it up but they seem to at least generally try and not have like a game defining call now they just don't seem to care it's like we're throwing things weekly there are egregious calls one way or the other, and they're genuinely defining the outcomes of games, and nobody seems to care about it. I just, I, I thought, I thought the New York, I thought the people were on the phone. What happened to the phone line to New York? What happened That's to it? That's still there. You can clearly see. Why is the New York calling in? And be like, now. do you re- like listen? It's third and long, and it's not a penalty. Stop changing the game. Pull. Pick up the flag. There are clearly a bunch of plays now where like a call goes one way or the other, and then. They don't even get to re- they don't even get to reviewing it, but there's like a huddle, you know. Let's let's just sort of you know eat some time, chew some time. The guy's in the ear. He's telling us what happened, and the, the New York is clearly like, guys, you screwed this one up. Right. Call it incomplete and move on. Pick up the we hanky. Right. We don't have to spend on. the next five minutes reviewing it. Let's just. This is how it is. There's a bunch of plays where you can clearly see New York is like telling them what to call on the field, and then see if somebody wants to challenge it, and yet they're still making a balls of it. Yeah, it's not great. So, uh, can I? The, the Vikings' record is amazing, right? Somebody po- posted this on Twitter. They have gone on an almost perfect sequence this year of two losses, then two wins. So they started the season loss, loss, and then they screwed up the, the the pattern by going win, loss, and then two wins, two losses, two wins, two losses, two wins, and their final three games of the season are the Rams at Green Bay and then home to Chicago. So there's a pretty good chance they finish the season with the pattern intact of two more losses and then a win to finish 8-9 and nine in the most Viking season of all time. But right now, the Vikings have the number seven seed. They're one of three teams that are 7-7. Seven and seven. Yep. Do you want to know why uh, they're in no. over the Philadelphia Eagles and the New Orleans Saints? Well, I'll tell you why. Yeah. They win the tiebreaker over Philadelphia based on win percentage in common games, Sam. Win Wins tiebreak over oh, wins the tiebreak over New Orleans based on win percentage in conference games. Mm-hmm. So uh, over the Eagles in common games, over the Saints in conference games. As of now, this is all per ESPN. So if it's wrong, we blame ESPN. <laughs> uh, so the Vikings right now back in the playoff picture at seven and seven. The Bears are not. They've got the uh, they're number fifteen in the conference right now. Uh, do you want to know why the Giants win the tiebreaker over the Bears? The Giants aren't winning a tiebreaker over anybody. Get the hell out of here. Best win percentage in conference Stop. games. They've got Stop the it. But this is relevant for Giants fans because the Giants have the Bears' first-round pick. And the Giants and the Bears are both 4-10. and 10. It looks like the Giants, with a potential GM opening, with a, with a GM opening, will uh, we'll have two top-10 picks mm. in New York. A lot of fun to discuss that this offseason. Anything else to discuss in this uh, Vikings game? You think they're going to lose their last two here? Three? Uh, I think they're going to lose win the next then, two and then win the final. And then win against the And end up 8-9 and nine with a perfect pattern of a season. Yeah. Feels like the Vikings. I mean, look, the and Rams the streak at is Green alive, Bay. right? One score game. Yes. Uh, didn't they break it at some point? They may have. I don't think everything has been. It just feels like they played 14 one score games. This was a weird, like, 
the entire Chicago secondary was not playing, and they weren't great when they were playing. So for Minnesota to come out in this game and not just torch them was pretty disappointing for an offense that has talent. Okay, no Adam Thielen, but you still had Kirk Cousins and Justin Jefferson and an offensive line that was okay. Sure, they were losing to Akeem Hicks at times, you know, and Robert Quinn. It, if you were sort of watching that and only paying attention to highlights, you're like, oh, Robert Quinn ate Christian Darrisaw alive. The, the two sacks that he got were the only two pressures that, that Christian Darrisaw gave up in the game. So, yes, that's not good when you give up two pressures and they're both sacks. On the other hand, it was, what, 30-something pass plays to give up only two pressures is, let's call it a wash. It's like... One of those games where a cornerback only gives up one catch, but it's a 60-yard touchdown. Like, is that good or bad? Let's call it somewhere in the middle and move on. So, like, the Vikings offense should have been significantly more successful than it was in this game. It had me thinking a little bit because um, and I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to investigate this further. haven't had a chance to yet. I do wonder if, you know, bringing in backups to backups to backups – uh, if you do play a lot more zone, if you do, you know, avoid man coverage, you say, okay, we're not gonna, we're not necessarily gonna trust our backups against Justin Jefferson one on one and all that stuff. I do wonder if you can get away with that more, or if in today's NFL, because there's far more zone being played around the NFL than man in recent years, if the cornerback position is slightly less valuable than we considered, slightly, not massively, but if there is more of an onus on linebackers and safeties in zone coverage. Uh, now than previously, whether it's in target rate, whether it's in, um, again, just how how often you can hide corners, because that's what it kind of felt like. It's like how are the how are the Bears, how are they staying in? How are they stopping the Vikings in in passing situations when they are completely depleted? But they did a good job, and uh, something to maybe investigate a little bit if uh, if linebacker might be slightly more important as teams play more zone coverage. Yeah, what do you think? Yeah, cool. Want a chance to win the ultimate game day feast, Sam? Great. Yeah, do it. Whether it's football, success, or financial savvy, winning starts with asking us questions. We always ask you to ask us questions. Would you like to know what it's like behind the scenes with Al on Sunday Night Football? Or with Tariko? You can ask both. How about a need to know for your financial future? Western and Southern's teaming up with PFF's very own Chris Collins. We're at the boss to share insights that can help you both for your fantasy and financial scoreboards. Every submission earns you a chance to win the ultimate feast to celebrate football's favorite Sunday. We'll cover your catering for up to $2,500. Coordinate your order from a restaurant near you and have it delivered on February 13th, 2022. Is that a significant date? I don't know. It's a Sunday. There's the last football game of the year. That's the date. And don't forget to check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast and Western Southern's Instagram for answers to the best questions each week. Submit your questions at westernsouthern.com slash askchris. One more time, that's westernsouthern.com slash askchris. If you're watching on YouTube, check out the link in the description below. Remember, Western and Southern, you can rest assured on game day. All right, so then we had, do uh, you want to do some emails and then we'll get to Tuesday Night Football or just do all the recaps first? Uh, so one email, we had a guy email in from uh, Australia, I believe. I assume he's Australian on the basis of his name. G'day, mate. Oh, God, don't that's do that. dumb and dumber. I'm just, I'm doing the... No, 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 don't, no, no. But that's... Stop, stop, stop. I apologize on behalf of the podcast. I would like to distance myself. You didn't from... let me finish the line. No, he's the, stop. He's in the limo. And it... uh, this is anyway from a guy called Lachlan, who was trying to... So remember, I, I made the point that I was, I thought I could catch one of your pitches barehanded. Like, I didn't need the, mm. the glove. And the reason I thought that is because I played cricket before. And, you know, cricket ball, you got to do the whole thing barehanded, unless you're the wicket keeper. But everyone else uh and this guy was like so he had a, a question about the fourth and one and two stuff 
which we've kind of talked about before, so we're not going to go over that again. But anyway, this is in the PS was thing. It says, catching a cricket ball without a glove is easy due to them being 50% smaller than a baseball in size and weighing only under 200 grams. Now, number one, they're basically the same size, cricket ball and a baseball. They're very, very similar. A baseball, I believe, is marginally bigger, but it's like nine and a quarter inches versus eight and three quarter inches. It's like, it's tiny. And a cricket ball is heavier. Like, again. How many ounces is a cricket ball? Baseball's five. Yeah, it's like five and a half or something. Again, it's very similar because they're basically the same size, but it's slightly heavier. You just just said, well, actually, to this email. I did. And so, look, the, 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 the reason that I was confident in this is because I have both held a baseball and both held a cricket ball. And I've caught the cricket ball barehanded, and I believe that based off your noodle arm pitches, I could catch one of them. Yeah? Yeah, that's all I got. Oh. So you just pulled an email so you can go, well, actually, I can do this. Just that one, yeah. What did you say about fourth down decisions? We've already covered it. There, you see, there you go. That was in this email as well? No, that's Tyler just ad-libbing and showing you the size no, of the no, cricket no, I'm ball talking about the, He asked about fourth down decisions and said you can't catch a cricket ball? No, he said the reason you can is because they're, you know, was it smaller and lighter or something? Yeah, 50% smaller than a baseball. I mean, look, there's evidence in front of you that says that's not true. Yeah, they're about the same. So I'm sure you can. You can catch me barehanded, sure. I want to see with the glove first. I want to see with the glove. Oh, definitely catch you. I mean, what else do we have for emails? Good research. I'm just glad you you did your research this week. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Brought some info to the table. I mean, whenever it's important. Uh, somebody else, who's this? Trevor Harrison sent us in a, an email saying, uh, I don't know how exactly this would work, but Sam, uh, or all PFF staff, podcasters, question marks, cannot use the following words for the remainder of the NFL season. Uh, otherwise, he has to donate $5 every time he can't help himself. The words listed are... Don't ob- say them. No, like, this is... Count- I got to read them out. Okay. Absurd ridiculous, outrageous. I'm pretty sure I've never used that word. Absurd and ridiculous, you definitely use a lot. Ludicrous also comes up. Insane madness. Madness. Uh, I don't think Sam... Unless you're talking about the macho madness. Hmm. I don't think Sam could actually stop himself from using these words. So all proceeds would go to a worthy cause. Uh, Trevor Harrison. Now, the problem with not... So I freely admit that particularly the first two, absurd and ridiculous, are used a lot. Um, The problem is you need... A synonym. You need other options, right? Because yeah. those are things you want to talk about a lot. These are the, the, him doing X, Y, and Z is what? You need another thing, right? Really good. Really crazy. <laughs> right. So if you type in, you know, absurd to a thesaurus and are like, right, what else have I got to work with here? You don't have an awful lot that works. Crazy. Okay, fine. But that feels like it's been used to death, right? But Foolish? No, it doesn't. See, then you start to get into very non-applicable ones that are slightly the same but don't quite work. Goofy? No. Illogical? Not really. Irrational? Laughable? Ludicrous? We've already hit that one. Nonsensical? Now, maybe. Maybe you could pivot to that occasionally. I feel like you've dropped a couple of nonsensicals through the years, too. Preposterous is quite a good one. I think I could get, get some mileage out of that. Silly? I could, yeah, maybe. Stupid? Unreasonable? And then you get into ridiculous things that don't fit. So... I, I get it. I, I understand these are some words that are heavily used in this podcast. But my problem is there aren't an awful lot of, you know, happy alternatives. Yeah. Silly I use with my kids. It feels like a kid's word. Unless you're, you, you, know. you could Yeah. You'd have to hit it. It's the delivery, right? Yeah, it is how you say it. Yeah. You could get, uh, you know, him making that catch was just silly. I think you could get away with that. But it, again, there's limited mileage out of that one. 
It's a fair point. I mean, I I think I use the word again over and over again. I actually I, I remember the uh, it was is Brian Kelly. I blame Brian Kelly. I remember first noticing people using the word again almost the way they say um in Brian Kelly press conferences, and then it kind of became something I do all the time, saying again. I blame Brian Kelly. Soon I'll be speaking Louisiana. Unbelievable is Bye. a good one. I don't use unbelievable enough. Let's let's. I'm gonna start. I'm gonna create a, a list of alternatives, right? I like preposterous. Keep it on the desk there. And yeah, yeah. I like preposterous. I like silly. Uh, unbelievable. I don't use enough. I so look. We can. I'll meet, I'll meet you halfway. I'm not saying I'm gonna get rid of them completely because there's just there's too many occasions where you need to use them. But I'm gonna I'm gonna get a list of alternatives up here. This is good. You're showing your range here. You know, in one respect, you went, well, actually, I can catch a cricket ball or a baseball. And then mm-hmm. the other hand, you're like, sure, good feedback. Feedback accepted. We'll mm-hmm. get better. Yeah. Look, look at you. Rangy. Anything else you had here? Rangy. Uh, well, let's, let's get rid of Tuesday's games first, and then we'll, get, we'll circle back. <laughs> let's knock out the Tuesday games. <laughs> uh, they both happen at the same time. Let's go Rams-Seahawks so I can continue my uh, officiating rant here. Oh, perfect. Uh, <clears throat> Rams win. And uh, look, they earned it. They, they deserved it. 20 to 10. Over the Seattle Seahawks, uh, the two plays that made the difference here in this game, it was 10 to 10, and the Seahawks made the very difficult get. I'm just mad because Seattle didn't cover. Yeah, and I picked them. Now the uh, they 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 made the big third and long stop. Right, they make the third and long stop. The Rams are going to be punting from like their own 10 or 15 yard line. It's pretty significant. The Seahawks are getting the ball back. Was it early fourth quarter, late third, early fourth, whatever it was? And, you know, Seahawks feeling good. They got a shot here. Instead, the third down stop gets negated by a uh, defensive pa- – no, a holding? Was it a ho- they called it defensive holding on uh, Bless Austin in uh, – Bless Juan Austin in uh, coverage. They call him Bless. And when you see the replay of this play, all it was – was it OBJ that he hit? was just, it was a really good, like, little chuck, little, just knocked him off balance. Yeah. And it was one of those, you know, kind of from behind, if you, you know, if you're... Just rerouted. If you're the back judge, you're watching it, it kind of looked like a, you know, they got tangled in the arms in there and everything. When you, but when you see the replay, it's just really, just a really good reroute. I mean, it's, it's well done. And, and it just boggles my mind that this call, which had such a massive impact on the game because it gives the Rams a free first down and it... Uh, the Rams come back, and, and look, the Rams have to then execute plays and all that stuff, and they did. And Matthew Stafford threw an absolute dime to Cooper Cup. They showed the replay from end zone. It was beautiful. Threw it early, all that stuff. Threw him to space. It was awesome. But, man, this play where Seattle should be getting the ball probably close to midfield, instead, the Rams keep the ball, drive down. They go up 17-10, to 10 and the rest is history. Seattle could not make the comeback. And then the other play was the under, underthrown defensive pass interference. Russ throws it up. Uh, DJ Dallas is the receiver. Uh, I was Ernest Jones in coverage, the rookie linebacker. Swats uh, DJ Dallas's arms. It's clearly early. I detest the underthrown defensive pass interference. I hate it. I hate that it's rewarded. I should be happy about this, right? Mm. Hey, finally, the underthrown ball is not rewarded. But it's just clear defensive pass interference, like letter of the law. Yeah. And look. There's, there's hundreds of plays in a football game, over 100 plays. It's not just these two plays. But these literally completely changed the game. One was a fourth down where Seattle's trying to make their comeback. 
come back over because they didn't call pass interference. And the other one was Seattle getting off the field on third and long. They had, like, what's the EPA swing on those two plays? It is massive. Not just um, not just didn't get pass interference, but they then flagged him for being frustrated and kicking the ball away. For being right about being, you yeah. know, not having a call. Now, okay, you know, you can't do that. You can't kick no, the ball away. You're going to get that. flagged, but... You can you can see where he was coming from. You know what I mean? That was clear pass interference. And, yeah, like, it was close in terms of being they, – they use that term bang, bang, play, you know? Yeah. That's not a reason to not flag something. Like, if it's bang, bang, by definition, that means they're sequential. One happened before the other. And the the first bang in this case – was the body of a linebacker clattering into the guy trying to make a play on the ball. The second bang was the ball somehow hitting the collection of bodies at that point. Right. They happened, but they happened, like, at the same time. There was a play this weekend that was called, I think, right. Like, it was, it was slightly overthrown, and so the receiver didn't get his hands on it. And at the time when he would have gotten his hands on it, like, the safety swatted at him, right? With, so it's like, okay, the timing on that was right. So the timing of... The contact is, is what it's about. It's not about finding the ball. Like we, it drives us. I mean, it drives me nuts when they're like, oh, he's got to turn around and look for the ball. It's like, no, it just you can't touch the receiver and interfere with him when he's trying to catch it. In this case, Jones did. And then the other huge play in this game was Jalen Ramsey and the Rams defense essentially bust the coverage on DK Metcalf. And for some reason, Russell Wilson just lofts up this underthrown moon ball that never had a shot and allowed Jalen Ramsey to get back into that, eventually break it up, that should have been a touchdown. Like, that was the play you've been waiting for. Ramsey on Metcalf kind of all day, essentially, doing a really good job, shutting down anything that was slightly off target. This was the play. Like, something goofed in that secondary. Ramsey sort of bit on the ridiculous scallop move thing that yeah, Metcalf Ramsey looked like with. he was expecting safety help, or he just bit. I don't know. He was, but I mean, DK had three to four steps on him. Yeah, three to four. It was pretty significant. Right. Metcalf did this weird sort of horse gallop thing as a as like a fake, as like a stop and go kind of move halfway through it. I think Ramsey just bit on it, but either way, it was wide the hell open down the sideline, and it was so underthrown that Ramsey was able to recover, elevate, get up, and swat it away. That was a game defining play that the Seahawks had, you know, independent of the bad officiating, they had a shot to get seven there and didn't. Um, Russell Wilson had, again, another game with one of the worst grades of his career, and, and it was highlighted by plays like that, right? He misses DK Metcalf on the deep ball. There's another one earlier in the game with Dwayne Eskridge where he throws it up, um, and it's underthrown enough that it became essentially a jump ball, contested catch, but if he laid it out there a little bit further, he would have hit him in stride, and but it turns into a jump ball. It also felt like one of those jump balls, like if he was throwing it to Tyler Lockett, he comes down with it, but it, Lockett's out in COVID list, and Eskridge just doesn't come down with it. Eskridge didn't make a catch on his four targets yesterday from Russell Wilson. It did feel like their offense was missing Tyler well, Lockett. Tyler Lockett's 5'11", Eskridge is only 5'9". I mean, that's a, that's a significant jump ball advantage. No, Lockett's just good at those things. He just goes up and catches the ball. That was, that, that was the one where it was him against Dante Dion. Dante Dion, Dion right? yeah, yeah. I'm just Dion saying, 5'11 versus Dante Dion is a five, huge, seven, yeah. it's a five, huge seven, height Dion. advantage you're dealing with. Yeah. I, I'm impressed every time I see Dion play. I love little guys. It's not even you the height. I think I'm the heightest, and I'm over there like loving the 5'7 guy. The, the Dante Dion thing amazes me, not because he's short, because the guy weighs like 150-something pounds. Like... He weighs so little relative to the people he's trying to cover that I don't think people appreciate how much of a disadvantage that is. Like, I'm not a big person, right? I weigh, I'm like 5'11", 180, right? 
And I have played against people like you, 6'8-ish, 280-ish, right? When you and I are competing for a ball in basketball, it's just a monster disadvantage, right? There's only so much you can do to to offset that physics. Um, Like, I've played against people that have me outweighed by 30 pounds and a couple inches in height or whatever, and it's massive. For and that's just like you know amateur athletics that that where this stuff is all relative. Dante Dion at times has to cover guys like DK Metcalf, who has him by like seventy five pounds or something. Like it's insane the amount of size and weight that guy's given up. Like I've gone up against people that I outweigh by a lot, and they reach a point where they're so small that they just can't actually affect you. They bounce. Like, they don't yeah, have does, the inertia. How does it actually work? So for, for Dion to be able to go up and physically live with, with NFL receivers in the course of a route, but also come up and, like, make a tackle on them without literally just bouncing off is genuinely incredible. I, I, I can't believe Dion has a, any level of effectiveness, effectiveness in the NFL. Right. It is impressive. Now, it helps when you go, you know, it, it's easier against Dwayne Eskridge than it sure. is against DK Metcalf. But still, the fact that he's able to do that against anybody in the NFL is kind of amazing. I want to get to the Rams uh, side of it too, but the one other part about this Seattle offense, like that, the bomb to DK where he's open deep, and if, if he gets hit, it completely changes his stat line, of course. But he had 12 targets, six catches, 52 yards, only 8.7 per catch. I, they do take their shots with him every now and again, but it does feel like this offense is putting him into this like Z receiver role where he's going to motion and run little stick routes and run these. Like, I think Seattle had it right in their old system where you, you run some slants and you run a whole bunch of goes and overs. And man, if you're targeted under 10 yards, it is rare for, for DK Metcalf. And I, I just think they're making him into something he's not, almost like playing a Michael Thomas role yeah. instead of DK Metcalf's role. I think part of that, though, was because um, like they were matching him up with Jalen Ramsey a lot, and it was sort of trying to shift that around versus I think it's been all game. year, though. It's been all year for me. Yeah, but it would have been interesting to see a game, you know, minus Tyler Lockett without Jalen Ramsey being a factor and see what their deployment for DK would have looked like. <sighs> Either way, uh, it was a... A rough offensive performance for the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, the Rams weren't great on their side either, except uh, Stafford and Cup made some plays. Uh, Stafford had an early interception that was a questionable. Yeah, I mean, he threw a, an, an arm punt to the safety as well. I don't know if he was expecting the receiver to run a post. I don't know why he would run a post right into the post safety, but it was a bad decision. But Stafford comes back. That throw, that the touchdown that was the game winner, event, the eventual game winner, an absolute laser beam to, to Cooper Cup. In, thrown into space, Cup finishes with nine catches for a buck thirty-six and two touchdowns, and uh, man, he just he just looked really good once again, and yeah. that's without uh, uh, OBJ. You know, only one catch for seven yards. Another pass for him and Stafford looked like they were on in different area codes. You know, one of those. Just blame the receiver. Just going on the list, the uh, OBJ senior. Yeah, talk, yeah, Cranking still the pass with Stafford. Right. So Stafford either underthrew OBJ by fifteen yards. <laughs> Or OBJ wasn't in the right spot on one particular <laughs> throw. Just one particular throw where it was off. Um, it all, honestly, it looked like the same thing that happened to Baker early in the season, I think against the Vikings, where Odell Beckham's wide open up the sideline and Baker throws it not in the same area code. I, so I don't know what it was, but um, the Rams weren't 
they they salvaged it with a couple of these big throws by Stafford, but it wasn't their cleanest offensive performance either. No, um, pretty big game by Von Miller for yeah, the first time, though. right? Like had a had a sack, had a bunch of pressure, uh, was doing a lot of it against uh, Dwayne Brown, who you know as much as he might be declining, is still clearly Seattle's best offensive lineman. So uh, like the Von Miller thing might be paying out. Um, also, there was a there was a really nice play by Leonard Floyd in coverage, and I'm just I'm a Leonard Floyd fan of the Rams. Big apologist, long linebacker. What apologist? Apologist even. Yeah. Um, but I don't apologize when they pay him like ridiculous money for sack totals. But he had a sack in this game, only two pressures on 30 rushes. But it was the classic Aaron Donald gave him a sack play. Right, Aaron Donald gets the quick pressure. Russell Wilson steps up right into Leonard Floyd's arms for the sack. I think it was Brock Heward on annou- uh, announcing. Yeah. It was basically like, you need, we need a stat for this. We need a stat for Aaron Donald sacks, you know, creating sacks. We're like, yeah, it's PFF pass rush grade that gets you there. Well, so, also, he kept, he kept using that line, like, oh, there should be a stat for this. It's like, there is. It's just not one in the, like, in the box score from the newspaper in the 1990s. Yes. There isn't. But, like, pressures are a thing. You know, they show up now. Right. We do cover this. Uh, Carlos Dunlap, by the way three sacks they were the only three pressures he had in the game so he whooped was it bobby evans at right tackle a couple times also whooped andrew whitworth who seemed disgusted in himself like the fact that he'd given up that sack whitworth looked so mad and those guys former teammates he must have oh that's he must have blocked carlos and lap quite a lot in practice and knowing how much whitworth studies tape and studies opponents and stuff i imagine he's quite just just Mad at himself that he got beaten by that. But anyway, Dunlap, like, if you again, if you're just sort of looking at the impact, three sacks, has a monster game, looks like, you know, the second coming of Lawrence Taylor out there. The only three pressures he had in the entire game, which is amazing. Yeah, and uh, Whitworth has now given up only 12 pressures all year, four of which are sacks. And, uh, you know, as I always say, don't judge offensive linemen by sacks. It's just judging by the blocks that they make. And uh, Whitworth has a 90 pass block grade this year, continuing to be really good. At the age of 40, he turned 40 a few days ago. Yeah, officially he's 40. now the only, the only player in NFL history to play to start at left tackle in, over the age of 40. Um, I did see that refuted. What? There was a game in 1921. Come on, 1921? Yeah. There wasn't even a left tackle in 1921. That was just we, all guys on the line of you, scrimmage. You can't, listen, we cannot, on one hand, celebrate the 100-year anniversary of the NFL as we did last year and not acknowledge when we're talking about records that those hundred years are Have in the you mix. seen that one play that Seth tweeted out? It's just like <laughs> an absolute joke of a thing where Can every- we do an entire segment on that play? I'm just saying, like that's the period you're talking about here. Left tackles didn't exist. It was just a collection of bodies at the line. That's no, I'm not having that. Please just oh, Tyler, if you if you could Google um, <laughs> Seth Galina, the worst play account in and worst history. play in NFL history in that tweet. <laughs> I don't. I, we, we're trying to make it a point to not like acknowledge what's on the screen for our podcast listeners. But well, this, look, the listeners but, can go look it up as well. Like it exists. That's it's, true. You can go find it's, it. It's but this play, it's, I, I want to do a whole segment. It's got like a million play. likes. It's not the hardest thing in the world to find. It's one of those things you really see something new every time you watch it. There's always <laughs> something new that stands out. I'm just saying you can't. That's the period you're talking about here, and you can't draw up that play and be like, "Oh, look, here's our left tackle over the age of 40." It took me about five watches to find the passer, the roughing the passer punch to the face. I mean, I'm just saying, there's a lot, there's a lot going on on that play. But uh, yeah, kudos to Andrew Whitworth for being 40 and playing. Yes, playing 40 above 40 now. And uh, no, I'm not. You can't take that away from him. You can't. That's, that's what I'm we're not talking about. Um, 
Think if there's anything else on this game, then we'll go to Washington, Philadelphia. But uh, first, tis the season of giving in DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is giving a Christmas present you won't want to re-gift. New customers can bet just $5 on any of the four NFL teams playing on Christmas and win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. Why not win some green and put some extra jingle in your pocket? What do you think of that, Jesse? If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, your Christmas can still be merry. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Football Contest. And DraftKings has given all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code PFF. Bet just $5 on any NFL team to win on Christmas Day. And you win $150 in free bets if they're victorious. It's promo code PFF this Christmas at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit. $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I've noticed your friend, Jesse Cofield, there. She puts my the... My friend? It's your friend. Why is she my friend? You friended her on uh, Facebook or whatever. I mean, uh, Twitter, right? You follow her I think on Twitter. I follow her. We've interacted on Twitter. Yeah. Um, but on her DraftKings commercial, she says official sports betting. She puts the emphasis on a different syllable than I do. Yeah? Yeah. So we do it a little differently. Well, I don't I mean, know if there's a right or wrong way, but it's, yeah, it's open to interpretation. <laughs> I don't know if there's a right or wrong way either, but you're sitting here on YouTube and she's on national television every day. I have way more Twitter followers, though. I don't know if that matters. True. But this is the play from 1933. This is uh, right. So you want to go back 12 years beyond this. This was 14 years into the glorious for... NFL uh, history of the NFL. Look at that roughing. Look at that swat to the face. Look at that passing technique. It is a two-handed swat. Now, if we're grading this play here, it's a turnover-worthy play at the goal line. <laughs> it's probably a minus 1.5, minus 2 maybe for the quarterback. Yeah. Number nine's getting a plus one pass breakup. Could be more if he actually caught it. Yeah. I mean, this is uh, – and, like, what's 72 doing there? The right tackle. Well, not much. In fact, nothing. And they just – Standing up. And so the quarterback's probably throwing hot off 35 there, too, because 35 <laughs> comes in unblocked. Just, so he's got to get rid saying, of it quick. You want to go back another, like, 12 years and claim that there's a left tackle who was over 40 just saying, that deserves this accolade over Whitworth. Just saying 12 years before that play happened – Stop. Uh, a man was 41 years old playing left tackle in the no, NFL. I meaning don't. he was born in like the 1880s or whatever. Yes. Just, just for perspective. Where they barely kept records. Like the guy was probably only 17. Like who the hell knows? You what can't. Are you talk? They had, like, we didn't have birth certificates back then. People didn't know when they were born. In the 1880s, it was all done by like handwriting. You, there was like a smudge. Who? No. You, stop. We didn't have proper birthdays in the 18. You might have had proper birthdays. I'm just saying that like your birth certificate handwritten using some like charcoal is probably not worth taking Whitworth's credit away for. My old teammate went from 19 to 24 years old overnight when they <laughs> realized what his real birthday was and his real name. Does that, so did he, did it at least happen on his birthday? Cause then he could get like four of them out of the way in the same. Oh no, I don't think so. No, I just think they just kind of caught him in February <laughs> and he went from like pretty good 19 year old prospect to, oh my God, you're 24. Yeah. You're way too old. You're getting released. That's got to suck. So yeah, that, uh, that happened. Yeah. Good old Olmo. Love that guy. It's a good shortstop. Uh, Washington football team at the Philadelphia Eagles started pretty bad for the Eagles. Uh, they kept showing that Dallas Goddard drop. It took me, because I was watching both games at the same time, it took me like a couple of watches to realize it, it actually took everybody a couple of watches. Like, the camera didn't care. The officials uh, didn't seem to notice. The commentators had no earthly idea what had happened. It they were off. randomly, they, they eventually gave the ball 
to Washington. And at that point, did the announcing team realize, oh, wait, there was an interception? What the hell happened here? Okay, so it wasn't just me because I didn't have the volume on in that game at the time. No. It was ridiculous. Nobody had any clue that that happened other than Landon Collins, who took off running with the ball. It was a, a wide open. The, the Eagles had a ton of these wide open passes to the flat. Dallas Goddard had two of the easiest drops you'll see, worst drops. One of them leads to this interception. Um, so Garrett Gilbert, fresh off the New England Patriots practice squad. This is why I picked Philly to win and cover. Uh, fresh off the practice squad, starting quarterback, and uh, I mean he did he did what he could, but you know it went about as expected for uh, a quarterback coming off of a different team's practice squad four days earlier. Philadelphia was just too much in their running game. Uh, another game where they're just uh, dominant up front. I would say it went significantly better than you would expect. True. For a I mean for, Gil- was, for Gilbert himself, absolutely. he was signed on Friday. Yeah, like, that's crazy. they they signed him just a few days before this game. I mean, quarterbacks Quarterbacks have been signed with, like, a full week to deal and haven't started because they need to understand the playbook better. Like, obviously, Washington didn't have a choice, so he was straight in there. For him to get through a game like that with, um, you know, completing 65% of his passes, okay, a low average depth of target, but one turnover-worthy play, I mean, I thought he did all right. Uh, was he the AAF superstar? Yes. Gilbert? The Orlando right. Apollos. Man, I, I would have been would have been the MVP if that league had survived to the point where they gave out such things. Give me more, give me more. USFL and XFL comes back. I'm I'm in. You know, give those guys some more reps. Let us see it. Um, but the Eagles after that start, and Jalen Hurts also fumbled early on. After that, though, pretty clean football game from the Eagles. We saw an incredible sideline catch by Devontae Smith. Really nice touchdown pass by Jalen Hurts to. To Greg Ward, kind grab, of back nice shoulder. grab by Ward as well. It was great. I, I'm saying it was good. I'm saying throws and catches on on both sides there, and then the Eagles once again uh, just continue to to run the ball and dominate up front. So impressive I mean, just effort. Look at that offensive line. Like Jordan Mylata, Lane Johnson, both those guys had plays where they were like running downfield. Okay, Mylata bear hugged a guy rather than blocked him, but there was That's okay. There was one run down the sideline where Lane Johnson is sprinting, you know, twenty yards downfield trying to spring a block. Kelsey at one point was a mile out in front of a run as well. Deep like that offensive line is just crushing people. 90-plus uh, run-blocking grades for both Mylotta and Lane Johnson, as you mentioned. Uh, Jason Kelsey, Nate Herbig, like everybody up front, grading pretty well. So the Eagles, I think, are they becoming the team? Nobody wants to play? Well, so this was like, this is another game where COVID essentially completely changes the playoff picture. Like, Washington gets absolutely wrecked, has to start Garrett Gilbert, and they were the team. Like, Washington could have still made the playoffs if they beat Philadelphia. They could have even lost to Dallas in the two games one of which they've already lost um, and been fine. This was the game, though, that sort of swings. It changes. It, it flips that team from being Washington to being Philadelphia now. So, yeah, they're – I don't know that they're – I mean, you're still way more scared of San Francisco than you are of Philadelphia, but the Eagles are back in that picture now because of this game. Uh, Jalen Hurts had two turnover-worthy plays, but, again, really clean game outside of that. This was his best game in a few weeks. Of course, he missed uh, a little bit of time as well, but he makes his return – and throws the ball pretty well. But again, for January football and the ability, the the Eagles just run for 150 or 200 yards every week. Yeah, And it is, it's the offensive line. It's the quarterback element of the design run game. Hurts runs for two touchdowns. Um, It's all of that stuff combined. And it's, you know, again, what we had expected, what we were hoping for, 
uh, as you evaluated the Eagles coming into the season, this is how they would play. So Washington had one defender with a PFF run defense grade above 65. Um, That's rough. Deron Payne, you know, the nose tackle, a run defense grade of 29. Jonathan Allen, their best defensive lineman, a run defense grade of 30.7. Uh, Matt Ioannidis, you know, significant role player on the defensive line, run defense grade of 48. Like these guys that are the strength of this Washington defense just got annihilated by that Philadelphia offensive line. Um, so I know Hertz, uh, he played a good game yesterday. He had not been playing well in his previous games before he got hurt. Um, he's had a bit of an up and down season. And it's like every time you start to believe in the Eagles, I, we, we did a whole podcast on how they were the team. You don't want to play in the playoffs. Right before they had the horrible game against the Giants, and he, you yeah. know, had uh, 14 completions and three interceptions. I mean, that should have ended their playoff run, and yeah. then this game gives them that back. Like it, it resets it. So all, all I'm saying is, good win, really nice game from Hertz, nice job by the run game. Got to do it every week now. All playoff, uh, all basically playoff games in division games here on out for for the Eagles and really for the football team. Now, where's the playoff? Where are the playoff standings here? So the Eagles, another one of those 7-7 seven and seven teams, as I mentioned earlier. They win the tiebreaker over New Orleans, but lose the tiebreaker to the Vikings because of the dreaded win percentage in common games. Win percentage in common games. Great. This drops Washington to, the, to Washington to the number 10 spot, 6-8, and eight, just like the Atlanta Falcons. But they're ahead of the Falcons because they won head-to-head. Pretty easy. Yeah, but I mean, they're, they're done. Like this game ended their season. Yeah, because they'd have to jump three teams, basically, to get in. One of which is the Eagles, who just beat them. They'll have another shot at that, though. Um, anything else on this game? No, I think out? we're out. Do you have any other emails? Uh, yeah, what have I got? And then, uh, oh, there's two, there's two promo codes that people can take advantage of with PFF.com. So my, one of my favorites is Elite Up. An Elite Up promo code, which is for all Edge subscribers. What does that get you? The exact percentage here. Um, first off, PFF NFL. Uh, you have NFL Pod. That's the one for twenty five percent off any PFF subscription. But if mm-hmm. you already have Edge, use the Elite Up, Elite Up, Elite UP, and you get fifty percent off your Elite subscription. This is a pretty common one. People have Edge. They get a little taste. They want Elite. Use the promo code Elite Up. You get fifty percent off. It's a great one to get all the best that we have to offer over PFF. And this might be for Edge subscribers. This is probably your best deal of the year and then the other one if you're just uh you want any new subscription 25 percent off anything using the promo code nfl pod all right <clears throat> this email is from somebody called john serrato uh he says i'll admit i don't have any experience as a tv podcast producer same yeah uh but how about introducing a new weekly segment on the wednesday podcast segment is show some love uh name suggestions are welcome this is arguably worse than big time throws his words not mine what not mine Get this guy off my podcast. Uh, I fell down a premium stats rabbit hole recently and noticed a fellow by the name of Jaron Curse, a seventh-round pick from 2016 that ranks 12th in the safety list in 2021. I thought, damn, that's impressive. Why isn't this guy getting more love? For this segment, Sam and Steve would each uncover a relatively unknown player that's outperforming expectations and explain how or why this player is doing what he's doing. Ideally, we would get some in-depth analysis for how and why. 
is this player succeeding because they got put in a scheme that utilizes their talents? Are they finally living up to lofty pre-draft expectations uh, based on college production and or athletic profile? Or is it seemingly random a la the Bucks Ryan Fitzpatrick at the beginning of the 2018 season? Uh, I listen to the podcast religiously, but my pea brain needs a little more structure. Having a segment or two on the Wednesday episodes will be a fun wrinkle that listeners would look forward to. Also, if you guys want to keep the Wednesday show more freelance, maybe you could work in the segment into the review or preview shows. Uh, yeah, that's about it. I like J-Ron Curse. Yeah. It's about time. It's about time. We saw, we saw flashes of good play on 271 snaps in 2019. I know that wasn't the point of the email, but Correct. I liked I like the idea of... Uh, I'm glad you recognize that. Yeah. I like the idea of, uh, of highlighting... Uh, you know, some, some lesser-known players. Yeah, I like that as a segment idea. Kind yeah. of forces that we could do a little deep-dive uh, film study bring it and bring some to the table. Yeah. But uh, J-Ron's a guy I, I liked in particular coming out of Clemson, using his side, uh, size, you know, one of those tight-end eraser types. But, yeah, he's fit with Dallas pretty well. He's tackled really well, 89 uh, tackling grade, only three missed tackles all season, and uh, made a lot more plays with them than he, had, than he did early in his career with Minnesota and then last year with Detroit. Yeah, he's always – had that kind of ability though like even in minnesota he flashed some skills um and looked like a guy can i give you one guy that i thought of off the top of my head like i like this idea by the way we should adopt this as we a can segment we could definitely do that on the wednesday show um we could do it and then draft season too we can kind of yeah do the same thing top of my head uh miami dolphins defensive lineman zach sealer who oh yeah, yeah. they I don't want to say poached. They signed from Baltimore uh, where he barely played, you know, earlier in his career. And again, this is another guy, seventh round draft pick back in 2018 out of, you know, where he was played? Uh, He was at uh, Ferris State. Yeah, Ferris State. Ferris State. That's where this guy played. So seventh round draft pick. You go to the Baltimore Ravens, pretty crowded defensive line generally. So obviously it makes sense that he didn't play an awful lot there. Um, Like, Less than 200 snaps, 150 snaps for his first couple of years. Signed by the Dolphins, 500 snaps last year. Played pretty well. This year, he's going to be in the same kind of ballpark, around 500 snaps. Grade is up to 84 overall, 82 against the run. Just a powerful guy that plays with sound fundamentals. Like Wins his blocks, doesn't necessarily make the splash plays, the, the sacks, not even necessarily the defensive stops, though he's got about 30 of them this year. Um, but just like screws up lineman's blocks, and that's what you want from a big defensive lineman. I like it. I'm not prepared, so I don't, I'm not going to bring anyone else to the table. I'll save mine for the next time we do this segment. But I like that as an idea. Good way to highlight the PFF grades. And again, uh, he got into a rabbit hole down uh, premium stats, which mm-hmm. you can get for 25% off or using the promo code NFLPOD. Or if you're an Edge subscriber, you get 50% off using the promo code Elite Up, And you, too, can go down a premium stats rabbit hole and find hidden gems like J-Ron curse oh i forgot we need to preview thursday night football Mm -hmm. man yeah i thought we were making good time no do we do that tomorrow no we can't do it tomorrow tomorrow's a full day yeah titans 49ers i did forget i missed the you know titans and 49ers Uh, it's the congrats you get we you get a day off between week 15 and week 16 week 16 is starting tomorrow night 49ers titans on nfl network uh, two days before the Christmas festivities. So uh, what are you looking for in this 49ers and Titans game? 49ers 8-6, and six, Titans 9-5, and five, both uh, in the playoff picture as of right now. Titans blew their chance at the number one overall seed, or at least controlling their own number one seed options. Yeah. Um, what, are we, what is this game in terms of uh, COVID implications? This one's relatively clean, right? 
I believe it is. I don't know offhand. We just had the Jets throw 15 players on there. 49ers list today. don't have a soul on the COVID list. And the Tennessee Titans have Elijah Molden. That's it. My favorite player. Favorite I love player. Molden. Molden's been good this year. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, relative to a world where the Jets threw 15 guys on today, that's I've not seen, bad. I've seen multiple takes after we gave in. We gave in to the Derrick Henry people. And I've seen multiple people in the last few weeks saying, actually, Titans don't miss Derrick Henry. They miss A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, really. But they miss I the mean, receivers look, more than they miss the running back. Yeah, look, the, the, the Titans have been so banged up with injuries and losing guys that I don't think you can draw meaningful conclusions. Like, our hope— you know, yes, losing Derrick Henry is sad. It's unfortunate. He's a great player. It's, it's a bummer that the league doesn't have this guy for the remainder of the year. But at least we are going to see the direct impact that Derrick Henry has on this offense and how the passing game functions without him and how the run game functions without him and what impact he has on Ryan Tannehill or on the offensive line. No, because everybody else got hurt as well. And, like, somebody just went into a, you know, a pool of water with a, a silty bottom with a, just a giant stick and just swished it all around so it's just a mess so you're not getting any clarity right all we know is that the titans offense has gone to hell but it probably isn't just because derrick henry is out it's probably not because aj brown is out it's because all of them got hurt but they've run the ball pretty well with deontay foreman and dontrell hilliard in particular yeah in recent weeks i think that was the point that was being made here is that they've had multiple games uh patriots game uh, last week They've had multiple games where they've at least run the ball pretty effectively, but they haven't put points on the board or enough points on the board, or the passing offense has just been uh, really bad. As in that New England game, Ryan Tannehill has 93 passing yards, gets sacked a couple times. Last week, 153 passing yards against Pittsburgh, sacked four times, including a strip sack. So if they're able to run the ball pretty effectively and Tannehill's not putting up any production – People are just putting, hey, you know, he misses A.J. Brown. and right. it's, But this is the thing. Like, it's easy to say it's the star player. It's also the substitute, right? In all season, we said probably the Titans have the most fragile receiving core in the NFL. Yeah. Top heavy with A.J. They didn't have a three that we really trusted. And they lost both of their one and two. So, as expected, the passing offense outside of maybe, what, the Houston game in week 11, like the passing offense has just been terrible since about week eight. They have, and they, but they've also so they have run the ball relatively well, but they've also faced significantly less eight-man fronts, right? The, they, it's been different. It isn't true, exactly true. The, they're not the same defenses that Derrick Henry is running into. So yeah, it's working fine, but it's easier, and it's easier because they don't have the threat anymore of what they need to worry about everywhere else. So I just think if. You, it, this is a bad year to try and draw conclusions about what Derrick Henry means to this offense in any way. It, it's just it's not a clean comp because of all the other factors that are involved here. The thing that you can look at is say, look, we came into the year saying that if any one of those guys got hurt, do they have the offense that can withstand that? And all of them got hurt. So, of course, it went to hell in a handbasket. Um, well, the interesting thing about the Titans to me is that that defense has – massively overachieved is that fair like they've oh, had absolutely some real concerns in terms of personnel and injuries on that side of the ball and they've played pretty well in spite of that now the question is they're the next defense that gets a shot of here are three or four absolute unique freak athletes that the 49ers are all going to deploy at the same time what are you going to do like Debo 
George Kittle, Kyle Juszczyk, Brandon Ayuk. <laughs> These guys are all coming to town at the same time. And by the way, they're running behind one of the best offensive lines in the game. How are you going to set out your defense to stop it? This is where the, the strength of the Titans' defense has been. Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker, two safeties, uh, grading among the best in the league. And safeties have that type of versatility, right, to play man coverage, to tackle in space, and man up with a George Kittle. Like, so you might see a lot of that Byard, Kittle type of matchup, you know, whether, whether it's in zone, whether it's in man. Those, those are the guys you need to be combating all of those players. Debo Samuel back and healthy and, again, coming out of the backfield and doing all the stuff that they're doing. The Niners, uh, over the last few weeks, really hitting their groove offensively, and this is what they were supposed to be. So, uh, the Niners are the team that's that is they're the hot, you know, hot commodity playoff caliber team that you don't want to play and all that fun stuff. And I think, I think that's what's going to end up being the difference here. What's the what's got, what's the line on this thing that I haven't even? Uh, I think it was three and a half last time I checked. I haven't checked yet. Yeah, we got three and a half. Uh, Niners by three and a half at Tennessee here. Yep. Um, Jimmy Garoppolo also, you know, once again, playing pretty well, had a good game last week. And, uh, I don't, I don't know the Niners and they're doing they're, the Niners also look better defensively, much better defensively yeah. than they did early in the season. So there's just a lot trending in the right direction when it comes to the 49ers right now. There is, um, that I think is a really underrated part of this whole thing. Like everyone's focusing on that 49ers offense for good reason. The, the freak athletes that we talked about. Jimmy Garoppolo not having a bad game since they basically were like, ah, I mean, I guess he's the starter. Um, and that was all the way back in week eight. Yeah, by yeah. The way. I'm sorry, week seven. It's week half seven a season was when that at this point of like pretty good Jimmy Garoppolo play. And the funny thing is, he was playing like such crap to begin the season that even with almost half a season of really of pretty good play, he's only been able to crawl his way up as high as 15th in the PFF ranking. So like that's how low a starter base he was coming from. But yeah, that, that's significant. So the fact that the offense is getting all this attention is real, but it kind of masks the fact that the defense has been on a tear, particularly up front with Nick Bosa and Eric Armstead and those guys like absolutely ripping offenses to pieces the last few weeks. Um, and, you know, the Titans' offensive line is not the best in the world, particularly pass blocking. I just want to highlight, too, the, um, for the EPA folks out there, the people that uh, use EPA, to evaluate offenses and then, you know, attach it to a quarterback name where Jimmy Garoppolo's expected points added number is fantastic this year. Um, the reason why I think Kyle Shanahan gets so much, uh, should deserve so much credit and the Kittles and Samuels and Iukes of the world now um, deserve so much credit. Jimmy G's big time throw rate is at like the same spot it's been since he joined the 49ers in the twos, which is really low. He's got nine big-time throws all year. That's 2.3% of his dropbacks. That's a very low number, one of the worst in the league, lowest in the league. He's almost got twice as many turnover-worthy plays, Jimmy G. I know most of those were earlier in the year, um, but he's had a few in recent weeks. Um, But my point is, for this offense, year after year, to be one of the most efficient passing offenses in the league without a quarterback making special throws. And remember, this was Jared Goff with the Rams last year. Low big-time throws, good offense overall. It means you're creating yards after the catch, you're creating open throws, uh, or you're just you're relying on playmakers and, and great play calling to make plays. And that is just where the Niners are right now with all of their playmakers, with the play calling, and then the unique ways that they keep defenses off balance, such as putting the great Debo Samuel into the backfield as a running back to, uh, to create mismatches. So just wanted to highlight the Shanahan-Kittle-Debo effect here on a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who's not making a ton of special throws, but he's making enough 
good throws, good throw after good throw after good throw, but stuff that's schemed up and open, and the Niners are doing a really good job all around offensively right now. Dude's averaging eight, averaging eight and a half yards per attempt. That's the highest in the NFL. Yeah, highest yards per attempt with uh, an average depth of target of 7.8, one of the lowest in the NFL, meaning something's, something's working right beyond the quarterback. There, He's also another saying. guy that has that, you know, we talked – if you go to the PFF NFL Daily, um, we essentially answered how Joe Burrow can now be the number one graded quarterback in PFF despite leading the league in interceptions. Like, that's not something that usually tallies. Um, and part of it is because Burrow's interception to turnover-worthy play kind of ratio is a little out of whack relative to what most quarterbacks are. Garoppolo might be the most extreme example that I've ever seen. Jimmy G has 18 touchdowns and eight picks but nine big-time throws and 17 turnover-worthy plays. It's like the ratio is flipped. It's reversed. It is. It's pretty funny. And, again, that's, that's over the course of the season because he went through a stretch. Through week seven, he had one big-time throw and 10 turnover-worthy. So he's been much better in recent weeks. It's just the, uh, the whole body of work is uh, a little disjointed when it comes to Garoppolo. But he's, much, he's in a much better groove where he's playing now much closer to what he was in the Super Bowl run. And then yeah. remember, right when he got to San Francisco in 2017, he was really good I down the stretch. I would argue that this run is the best run of play he's ever had. Yeah. And, and, and again, it, it, sometimes it goes unnoticed. I said again, again. It goes unnoticed because there was a, a rough patch at the beginning. But when you put it back to week eight, it might be the very best run. The 49ers have essentially become the team. Like a lot of, they were, I think, third in Super Bowl odds preseason like it was the Bucks, the Chiefs and then I think pl- some places not everybody some places had San Francisco as the third most likely team to win the Super Bowl they have become that team after stumbling the hell out of the gate and looking you know look making everyone look ridiculous that thought that that was true all of a sudden this run like that's the team we're talking about here it is and then uh the other guys to watch, I'll just highlight Trent Williams every single week. Watch him. Nick Bosa, both guys balling out, playing really well. Niners are looking. It, it's, it's more than just, you know, uh, generic TV analysts speak that you don't want to play. They are a really good team. I think they're as good as the Rams or the Cardinals or the yeah. other teams that have better records. They just don't have as many wins mm-hmm. as those teams. Yeah, look, um, you so, were concerned about covering that game. We're done. Easy. We did it. I'm going to take the Niners, man. Taking the Niners trending to cover the three and a half here at Tennessee. I'm already on record on, I think, Syracuse Radio this morning taking the Niners with that spread. Oh, yeah. So, so you just can't. I mean, I'm kind of never be able I'm, to. I'm pot committed at this point. You are. The, uh, the folks in Syracuse will hold you to that. Mm-hmm. So they already do. I, I shudder to think. Like, they send me this text every week, you know, like, here the games, text back your picks. They're running some, like, season long, you know, pick thing. I shudder to think what my record is on that thing. I've ne- they've never told me, and I've never just asked. Just type it in quick. Yeah, right? yeah. It's like I just fire in the, the thing, send them off. And oh, you they, definitely have like 30. They're tallying it somewhere. I've never like checked or asked, or they've never brought it up. I would imagine it's got awful, but you know, I would imagine out there somewhere is my horrendous record on this Syracuse radio every week. Well, we're both taking the Niners, and yeah. we'll forget it next week because I always forget the Thursday games. And uh, there it is. We're on to week 16. Now, this was our midweek show. Uh, appreciate everybody for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow. We're going to preview all of the Week 16 action. It's a full slate. No more buys. And uh, got a lot to lot to break down here Christmas week. Yeah. And uh, thanks again for my Christmas gift. You're welcome. Thanks for, for this one. Yeah, you got it. And thanks to everybody for tuning in. And are we still doing the, uh, do the GoFundMe? Yeah. 
Uh, it's my pin tweet. It is the podcast Twitter's pin tweet, which is at PFF NFL Pod. Um, the the pin tweet we are donating to raise money, or we are to GoFundMe to raise money to for the tornado relief that swept through the Midwest. Um, so a topical, you know, acute need for people. We will figure out this forfeit, this punishment thing is not going to be the greatest one we've ever done because this is a quicker thing, and then we'll we'll fire up something else after that. Sorry about that. Hit the mic. Anyway, go check it out. At PFF underscore Sam and his pinned tweet. Over $1,700. Appreciate everybody for yeah. being a part of that. And uh, we'll be back tomorrow for the Christmas episode, previewing all the Week 16 games. See you tomorrow.